Ernest, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over there and start using it now. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. My graduates from my school being Forbes, backdrop. Backdrop. <laughs> A mic drop. Bag drop. Bag drop. All right, guys. Welcome back. Another exciting, groundbreaking episode for EYL. We're so call this the, the billionaire edition. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. The billionaire boys club. So, you know, um, we've had the privilege of talking to a lot of great people. Um, and first and foremost, relationships are extremely important. So first and foremost, we have to thank our guy, Al Harrington. Yeah, but before we get started, we got to let him in on the breaking news alert. All right, so earners, the time has come. EYLU Grad School is here, and you know how we bring it in. Over 100 past webinars, weekly webinars from industry experts, monthly financial planning calls with Rashad, our movie and book club, access to our private investment group on Facebook. And we've just added the Home Buyers Blueprint Volume 1 Reloaded from our brother MG the Mortgage Guy, which has over 12 hours of content to guide you through the process of buying a home with a number of home buying programs to get you through the process, y'all. And in addition to that, you now have access to our weekly mentorship calls for all things real estate hosted again by our brother MG. It's an amazing package. We put it all together. We can't wait for you to see it and be a part of it. And right now, it's 50% off. So all you got to do is head over to EYLUniversity.com and you're going to get 50% off. But yeah, shout out to Al. Al Harrington. Alumni, episode 16. Yeah, yeah, great guy, great guy. So, you know, we put it, power social media, we put a post on social media, and it was like, tag Mark Cuban if you want to see him on EYL. <laughs> tag, 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 it was tag, like 2,000 people <laughs> tagged him. And um, Al hit me right in the DM, like, hey, I just spoke to his guy. Um, hit him right now. So um, I did. And uh, to his credit, the whole team was just absolutely phenomenal. So, um, you know, kudos. Kudos to everybody. Kudos to Dawn and kudos to Jacob mm -hmm. um, for being, and kudos to Mark as well. Um, just being extremely efficient um, and no hassle, no issues. And yeah, this is quick. <laughs> got it Got it done. Got it done. So, serial entrepreneur, NBA team owner, investor, TV star, media mogul, family man, philanthropist, and um, legend, cultural icon. So, um, you know, we've talked to a lot of great people. Um, Stop right there because it all goes downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've talked to a lot of great people, man. Shout out to Shaq, D-Wade, Dame Dash. But um, this is the first billionaire conversation yeah, that yeah, we've yeah, ever yeah. had. So looking forward to it. So first and foremost, 
Uh, Mr. Cuban, uh, thank, Mark, thank you for joining us. Mr. Man, it's Mark. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Now that we got all that right. out the way. <laughs> Mark, Mark, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. My pleasure. So, so let's ju- jump right into it. So, you know, our podcast is a little different because we kind of dig into the, the backstory. So the tweet that I put up, it was when you said um, something to the effect of, I had zero dollars in my bank account when I was 27 years old. Um, and that went viral because, you know, I did the calculations based off of Wikipedia. And it was like <laughs> it was like 10 years later, you became a millionaire. 15 years later, you became a billionaire. So, you know, that's that's inspiring to a lot of people because it's like, you know, they see a billionaire and it's like to know a billionaire at one point in time in his late 20s had zero dollars. And his bank account. So can we can we start where it all begins? So I know you moved to Dallas when you in 1982, and you was a bartender, and then um, you worked at a software company where you got fired. So <laughs> can you can you start there? Sure. So I went to Indiana University, and a bunch of my buddies had gone down to um, to Dallas, and they were like, "No, the you know from Indiana, there's like the weather's good, you know the girls are hot, and the economy's great." I'm like, "Wait, wait." Back up. <laughs> what was that second one? <laughs> and, and so um, I had a Fiat X19, a 1977 Fiat X19 with a hole in the floorboard. And so I wanted to go someplace warm, and I thought about L.A., but my car wouldn't make it. Thought about Miami, my car wouldn't make it. But I could make the eight hours from Bloomington, Indiana, down to, to Dallas because I could calculate the amount of oil I was going to need every 60 miles and the amount of gas I was going to use. So I got down there and I moved in with um, my my buddy and his five or you know, four roommates. So I made number six. So there were six of us living in a three bedroom apartment. Obviously, I, I had to get a job, and so I got a job working as a bar. I say it was a bartender, but I was more bar back. And every now and then, I would pour a drink. Right? You know how it goes. And, and so did that at night, and then during the day, I went looking for a job. Um, and got a job working for a computer store called Your Business Software. It was one of the first early computer stores. <laughs> and I remember being doing my interview because I'd never taken computers in college, nothing. I took one class and I cheated at it. And, and so I remember <laughs> the guy asking me, he goes, well, what do you know about computers? And I'm like, I know how to read the manuals, right? I, I know how to sit in front of a computer and do basic stuff. And, and so um, he's like, well, all right, if, you, if you're willing to learn all this software programs by reading the manuals, I'll give you a shot. And so I got that job, um, paid me enough to pay my share of the rent. Um, it still had my shitty-ass car. And I'll tell you another story about that in a minute. You talk about being broke. And so I got that job. And so life is just going on, right, just trying to you know keep up with everything and pay my bills. Then my car dies. And so now I got no car. I mean, it had a hole in the floorboard, you know, where I could see the road while I was driving. So I knew it was just a matter of time. And I didn't have any money to get a new car. So probably two weeks later, and I'm getting rides to work and everything. Two weeks later, um, we're driving along with my buds and we're driving along. And there's a car um, on the side of the road. I'm like, stop. He's like, what? He's like, Somebody had to abandon that car. It was like a 1980 Trans Am or 1970-something Trans Am. I'm like, someone had to abandon that car, and I need a car. And so no lie, I had my buddy pull over. I open up the car door. It's open, right? And there's papers. And anybody who's ever missed a car payment, right, or had a car repossessed knows exactly what I'm talking about, right? you got all the papers and everything, and you're you're trying to figure out how to pay the bills. And then when you just can't pay it and they're going to come get it, you just leave it, right? You're just done with it. As and, fate would have it. <laughs> and, you know, and so I knew what was going on. And, and so I opened the car, pulled out, the, saw the papers on the seat, called the bank, right? Got, got back to our apartment. This is before cell phones. Got back to the apartment, called the bank. I said, I found this car on the side of the road. I know you guys are going to try to repossess it. Can you do me a favor? I'll pick up the payments on it because I had my software job at that point. I'll pick up the payments on it because I lousy credit awful credit. Like I had gone to Radio Shack to try to buy a computer to help teach myself to learn. And I tried to do it on credit and they turned me down. Radio Shack turned me down. And so I called the bank. They gave me the okay to take over the payments. And that's when I started getting my my life back on track and started building my credit up. But even then, I was like 24 at the time um, and working at that job and things started to go good for me. And then about nine months into that job, um, I had an opportunity to close the deal. 
And this deal would have got me a $1,500 commission, which meant I could have moved out. of. We called it the Hill Hotel where I live. It was in an apartment complex called The Village and a little part of it called The Hill. And so I could move out of the Hill Hotel, which was a shithole, if I got this $1,500 commission. And so um, I go to my boss, who, and I normally have to sweep the floor, open up the store and all that. And I'm like, look, I want to close this deal. And he's like, no, you got to be there to open up the store. Made the executive decision to go pick up the check, thinking when I bring him a $15,000 check, $1,500 of which is going to be mine, life is good, right? Fired me on the spot. I realized I was a shitty employee at that point in time. It wasn't the first time I've been fired or, or quit a job, right? And so started my own business called Micro Solutions. And then, you know, I, I was taking a step back financially because I had no income coming in. Begged somebody who was one of my prospects at the software store to loan me 500 bucks to be my first customer. So they gave me 500 bucks so I can buy the software that they needed. And I took that and I just kept on growing from there. And so that three years later, you know, when I went to the ATM, I had my business going, but everything that I had was going into the business, right? And I thought, you know, it wasn't a, a, a normal paycheck, right? It wasn't a regular paycheck for me. And so you think sometimes, you know, in your head, I've got a hundred bucks or 200 bucks and you go there thinking you're going to take out some cash and it's all gone. <laughs> and so that was, that was my moment. And it was just like, okay, this has got to be, you know, it wasn't a low point because I had my company, but this was like the point where, you know, I got to pay attention to the details and really start building this thing. And then it just blew up from there. I really put the effort in and, and it went big. So you, you didn't know anything about computers to actually yeah. working in a store with computers, reading the manuals to creating a software company. Like, how, is this still manuals? Or are you starting to surround yourself around people who have some insight in, in the field? No, I, I got to learn, right? Because, you know, if I'm going to be an investor now, right, it's not like I'm worried about my next sale, right, to pay to get my $1,500 commission. But, you know, but if I'm going to be the guy that, you know, whether it's on Shark Tank or, or doing deals, I, if I'm going to be a tech guy, you got to learn the tech. I mean, literally, I've got all these books around here. I mean, just about, you know, learning new technology, learning about AI, learning about, you know, um, personalized medicine, all these things. So yeah, I still will read the manual, you know, only now it's like a download instead of a book. But um, yeah, because you got to, because if I'm going to be out there saying I'm a tech guy and I don't know shit about tech, man, I don't want to be that guy. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm past that fake it till you make it. I want to be that guy who really knows the stuff. I want to ask you about selling the company to H&R Block. But before that, you brought up a good point. Um, how often do you do you uh, educate yourself a day? Like, is it like an hour? Like Every day, every minute. Everything I do is about learning more because that's the only way I can kick your ass. You know, it's <laughs> not, I'm not going to out athletic you, right? Um, it's not about my basketball IQ. It's about my, my business IQ, right? And technology and business. And everything's always changing. If, you know, five years ago, if someone would ask me about artificial intelligence, I wouldn't know shit, right? Yet AI is the most important part of, of technology and really business going forward. So if I'm going to be an effective investor, an effective um, mentor, an effective, you know, um, operator of businesses, you know, even with the maps, I got to understand AI because, you know, like with the Mavericks, when, you know, when you talk about analytics, it's changed so dramatically, even over the last five years, going from, you know, different types of things per and you know, advanced RPM and all these different metrics for basketball to how do you implement artificial intelligence and pose estimation and computer vision? And how do you understand all that stuff to make the right decisions for the max? And so if I want to be in a position to make those decisions and not just ask somebody else to do it, I got to learn it. And so I put in hours, I do tutorials, I take little online classes and it doesn't make me an expert. It's not like I'm going to sit, you know, I could get a job if I needed to running AI or running um, tech for a big company. I couldn't, but I understand all the concepts and understand the issues and how to apply them to business. So if you're going to be good at anything, you got to stay ahead of the game. And business is the ultimate sport. You know, I, I used to say it to Dirk. Now I say it to Luca. You know, it's like, dude, you know, you play 48 minutes, you know, a 48 minute game. You practice a couple hours. You go home and you relax and you play, you know, you play Call of Duty, you know, business is 24 by 7. I'm going every day because there's some 16-year-old kid out there trying to kick my ass in one of my companies, and it ain't going to happen. 
right? And so I'm that competitive and I'm that, you know, I work that hard at learning to try to stay ahead of the game. I mean, that's, that's amazing to hear you say you're taking online classes and it's like, you know, for somebody of your stature to, to, to invest, to mm-hmm. still be investing in your education, not to rest on your laurels. I think that that's something that's a teachable moment for all of us, yeah. but especially people that's aspiring to get to the next level is like if Mark Cuban is investing in his yeah. education, like, yeah, like everybody the should be competitive sport, the ultimate competitive sport. You don't know who your competition is. It's always changing. They're coming out of nowhere. There's some kid who thinks he's going to bust your ass, right? You know, and walk in and try to take, you know, just try to do something that beats your company or one of my investment companies. And I can't let that happen. You know, somebody's got to be LeBron, you know, and, and <laughs> I may not get there, but I'm going to bust my ass trying. So let, let me ask you this. Um, when you sold the company, the first company that you sold, I believe it was to H&R Block um, and it was 30 million, you netted 2 million. So how is, how did, how was that process in actually letting go and selling your first company um, and kind of springboarding that until we're going to talk about the next company after that. But what was the process in that? So we had 30 million in sales. We actually sold the company for 5 million. I brought on a partner who got two and then I gave a million to the employees. And so that netted me 2 million. Um, and so I took that 2 million and I got a broker at Goldman Sachs and I'm like, I want to invest like an old man. I'm 29, 30 years old because to me, the, the process was, you know, I always, I took seven years. I worked busting my ass at that company seven years with no vacation, right? I'm not saying I didn't go out and have fun. I did a lot of it, but <laughs> when everybody else was taking off to go to Mexico for a weekend or whatever, I, I had to stay back and work. And, and so, you know, I put in all this time and my goal was always to retire, right? My goal wasn't to start this company and run it till I was 75 years old and grow it to be this a big, enormous company. My goal was to retire by the time of 30, I was 35. And when I got the opportunity to sell the company, and what happened was I just got a letter from some dude who said he was interested in buying the company. He represented H&R Block. And I was like, come on. <laughs> come <take it." laughs> I've been waiting for you. <laughs> yeah, right? And, you know, I'm not messing around. And so, you know, and the offer was good enough at that point in time um, where I could say, you know what, if I'm willing to live like a student, I could retire. And so um, we went through the whole process. I went to Kansas City and met with the H&R Block board, told them what I, would, you know, what I thought we would do. Um, as it turns out, they had other plans. They just wanted to buy the company and have somebody else run it. And I was like, fine, you take it. I'm good with that. You know, pay me a little salary to answer questions when you need me. And I bought a lifetime pass on American Airlines for $125,000, which meant I could take me and anybody else, anywhere I wanted to go in the world at a moment's notice. Man, I'm at a club in LA. Let's go to Vegas. Come on, let's go. I'm in Vegas. You know, you want to go to... How long was that? How long was that? Did that pass expire? Or is that expired? I, after I bought my planes, I gave it to my dad. And my uh, <laughs> slight stunt, slight stunt. I, I, I actually wrote that down. When, when, when you, you talk about your best investments, the first one you already explained is investing in yourself and how learning is a skill. And your next one was the, the airline uh, pass. I'm like, yeah, man, the air pass? I wonder if I can get that. <laughs> I don't know if they still sell them, but I doubt it. I'm, I'm in LA, right? And I, I met a female friend um, about 15 minutes earlier. And I'm like, let's go to Vegas. <laughs> I was like, let's go to Vegas. And she's like, okay, let's go. We thought, you know, all I got to do is call and make a reservation. And I made the reservation. And when I show up, they have to make seats available in first class for me and my guests. And so I walk in there and they're booting out Magic Johnson. <laughs> right? I'm like, and he didn't know me from Adam, and I'm just, hey. <laughs> we just walked yeah, out. Yeah. That, that's great. I, I heard Rick Ross say that he got a wing stop because he wanted to show like the, the, uh, the woman he was courting he could get wings at any point. Anytime, this, anywhere, kind, anyhow. This, this, this kind of trumps it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a boss, right? <laughs> and you know what the best part? In the remix, he name drops me, so that's even better. There you have it. Hey, I, I put his album up because he name drops you. <laughs> Teflon Dog. Shout out to Rose. <laughs> so, so we got to talk about one of the legend, one of the most legendary situations of all time in business. So audio net, you start that in 1995, which becomes broadcast.com in 1998, um, which was a uh, first live stream 
uh, service that showed Victoria's Secret fashion show. Yeah, the first one. Rest, first in, pe rest in peace. Rest in peace. Period. First streaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First streaming. Yeah, you revolutionized the whole streaming process. Yeah. So, so you sell that in the middle of the dot com boom to Yahoo for five point seven billion dollars. The reason why this is so crazy for anybody that's not really familiar with it is like the dot com boom was when a lot of companies was was getting brought at very high valuations. Um, but it, it was like perfect timing because. From my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, the company, it was, you got Yahoo stock, which was at like an all-time high. It peaked after a split of uh, 500, and then it peaked. It was $818 mm -hmm. in 1999. Two years later, that stock was at $8. <laughs> all-time all low. 93% <laughs> drop. Yeah. In 2000, you, you brought the Mavericks for $285 million. So... What happened with that? Did you did you sell the <laughs> stock the as soon as you got it? History. Did you short the stock? Like how did, did you have a crystal ball? Are you are you a psychic? <laughs> no. So first of all, like after I sold Micro Solutions and that two million dollars, I started off investing real conservative. But my broker used to come to me all the time and say, ask me questions about these technology companies, and I would know more about them than the the people who were buying and selling the stocks at the brokerages, and so. You know, I would give them answers and, and realize after I gave them answers, the stocks would go up and down. If I said good stuff, the stocks would go over. If I said, I'm like, and he's like, dude, you got to start trading these stocks because you know more than our analysts. And so I did. And I was crushing it. Right. And so for the next four or five years, I was making 80, 90, 100 percent a year of my money in the stock market. My bank just kept on going straight up. And so um, by the time we sold Broadcast.com to Yahoo!, I'd already seen these, you know, bubbles come and go. The PC bubble, right? The PC software bubble, you know, and all these different companies go up and down. I'm like, yo, I got a B next to my name. I want to keep that B next to my name. I don't need to be greedy. And so I went to my broker and I said I wanted to do something called hedging and I wanted to hedge it, right? Which meant that I bought puts against the stock, which means if it goes down, I make money. And I sold calls against it, which means if it gets, if it goes up, I made some money, but I don't make as much, right? It, it forces those people who I sold the calls to to buy it from me at that price. And so the stock ended up going down and I made, ended up making, I made, I kept all my net worth, you know, from the stock they got because I got it converted to cash because of the puts, but I actually actually made more from it than I got originally because of the value of the puts when they came, um, when it, when um, they came to their expiration date. And it was called one of the top 10 trades on, on Wall Street of all time when Gotta I had be. it because I ended up making more money instead of losing all that money. And it was crazy because I bought the Mavs in January of 2000, so 21 years ago, yes, two days ago, right? And so um, and I, the hedge hadn't really fully taken place yet because um, it wasn't the hedge didn't really expire until 2001 and 2002. So I remember sitting in, um, sitting in the team bus with Don Nelson and Dell Harris, who was our one of our coaches and our, our head peace. coach. Rest in peace. Yeah, yeah. And so um, I'm sitting there with them, like, "You pay 285 million dollars? That's crazy. That's like the most <laughs> ever paid for any sports team ever." And I'm like, "Dude, look, see this Yahoo stock that I got from uh, for AudioNet for Broadcast.com? It just went up seventy dollars today." That paid for the, all the Mavericks, right? There. <laughs> I mean, I was living large, man. It was, it was, it was a good time. That, that paid for the private jet, the mansion, everything, <laughs> everything. So that you were doing option trading, yeah, basically, yeah, but only on my stock, right? So I owned the Yahoo stock, sold the calls, which brought in revenue, used that money from the calls to buy puts, which protected my downside. And when the stock cratered, like you said, down to eight dollars. I got all that extra premium. I got all that extra money because I had bought the puts. And so, um, yeah, so it turned out okay for me. Boys and girls, that's that's a lesson in hedging. <laughs> I hope you're paying attention. And right. you know, like right now, if, if you've got all these stocks right now, you know, I got to hedge on my stocks right now too because you just don't know. You know, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered, right? You don't need to get 100% of every nickel. If you give back a little bit and spend a little bit on the hedge, even if you're going to lose that amount, you sleep good at night. And if the market craters, whether it's tomorrow or next year, I may have lost a little bit, but I protected the nest egg, you know, and the money I've got in, in the stock market. So, you know, you've got to you got to always remember you can't predict where the stock market's going, even though like right now 
Bitcoin's going straight up. The stock market's going straight up. Everybody thinks they're a genius, right? Everybody's a genius in a bull market until you're not. And so even though I, you know, I might think one way or expect one thing to happen, I'm always hedging. That, that, yeah, yeah. Vitally important. Lesson learned. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, when, when you buy the Mavs at this point, I mean, you're just a fanatic of basketball. You didn't really even have any ownership t- like tenure. Like you had no idea. So I, I heard and I heard plenty of stories that the players were actually coaching on what it is to be an owner, right? Like Michael Finley and Nash. Can you tell us about that? I had no idea. There was only two things I, you know, I still like, you know, in, in normal times, I'd still go play pickup. Like I want the vaccine not only to feel safe, but so I can go play pickup again, right? Go back to the, <laughs> you know, the gym where I play. And, you know, so to me, I'm a ball is lifetime guy type guy. And I always have been. And like with Finn and Nash and Dirk and my guy, Eric Strickland, uh, Greg Butner, you know, these guys uh, took me under their wing. Damon Jones, even, you know, just all giving me feedback um, on, you know, what it's like to be a ball player, what you got to deal with as an NBA player and things they need. You know, I remember like the first day I bought the team, we had a guy, Gary Trent, his son now, Gary Trent Jr. plays yeah, on the, the, on the Trailblazers. Yeah. Right. And so G Trent, I remember, <laughs> I'm like, what do you guys need? What can I do to make it easier for you to, to win games? And he goes, Cuban, <laughs> he goes, this, this team is so cheap right now. We fly in to um, Oakland, California to play the Warriors, and we stay at a Holiday Inn with new, no room service. And so you got a whole team, your whole Mavericks team, walking down the street in Oakland, California, sometimes 3 in the morning looking for a 7-Eleven to get food. You think that's safe? <laughs> I'm like, okay, you money, I got you. And so we upgraded to stay at Ritz Carlton's. And then once we started doing it, everybody, all the teams started doing it. We yep. started bringing, like, when I first got there, we spent more money on computer repair and computer training than we did on player development. I'm like, this is crazy. We're spending millions of dollars. I mean, we had Jawan Howard with a $19 million contract, which would be a, a good contract today, right? Yeah. And so um, I brought in all these former Mavs, Mark, you know, um, Greg Dryling and Mark Bryan and all these guys, and they became our Moreland Wiley. They became our um, player development coaches. And the whole NBA crushed me because I brought in these guys at like 15 of them. Everybody basically had their own player development coach. And I paid the guys like 25 grand a year because they all just wanted to get coaches 25 grand a year because they just want to get back in the game, right? Kiki Vandeweghe. And so they all have jobs now, which I'll put them in the NBA. A lot of them are still NBA player development guys. Mm-hmm. And so, but all the other NBA teams just torched me. What are you doing? I mean, people were writing articles. You know, how dumb is this guy? He's got 15 players and 15 coaches, right? Because there were no development coaches. You know, you had three coaches on the bench. You had your lead, you had your head coach, your lead assistant, and then maybe one other assistant, maybe two, right? And one of them helped, you know, guys rebound. And, you you know, coaches were supposed to work to develop guys. I'm like, that's crazy. You know, coaching is a hard enough job as it is. Playing's hard. You want to get people who work to develop your players. And we started doing it. And now all those player development staffs where teams have three, four, five, ten guys working, that all started back when I'm started. And now, like, we got Sham Sham God. We even have, you know, all handling coaches, right? Legend, New York legend. You see the sham come out on the map. That's my guy. Legend. He is a heart of gold. Yeah, man. You, you guys, you definitely changed the game. I remember when there was first reports of uh, TVs in the locker room and everybody's locker had a, t- a DVD player and um, you were the first with the private planes. It was just like, yo, the Dallas Mavericks became a place where you wanted to be. Like, we grew up like Jason Kidd and Jim Jackson. It was like, uh, all right, Jamal Mashburn. Plane, right? So I bought the plane, but I'm like, let's fuck with people, right? <laughs> so when people, we didn't do a press release or anything, but when people would ask about the plane, I told all the guys, you got to say that there's a weight room on the plane. There's no weight room on a plane. Who the hell's going to put a weight room on a plane? But but they all told everybody that there was a weight room on the plane. So all these people, all these, still to this day, think we have a weight room on the Mavs team plane. We're just legend. Legendary situation. I mean, I believe the only NBA owner in history to make an appearance at Live on Sunday 
with the no, I've been, I've been yeah, many times. Probably the only other. <laughs> <laughs> we stand corrected. <laughs> with the championship trophy, I remember when they when they beat Miami, they went to live. Oof. That was that was legendary. They had Dirk up and live. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh wait, the best part of that story was, you know, we had just won, and they came up. And they go, look, we got this um, hundred forty thousand dollar bottle of champagne. Um, Dirk looks at me and he goes, "Fuck yes, you better get it." <laughs> I'm like, I handed my, my, my black card and I just gotten a new black card. Cause you know, they, every six, 12 months, whatever, they send you a new card. Right. So for, for theft protection. And so I just gotten it and you know, you're supposed to sign it and call it in to activate it. Right. I hadn't done that yet. And I was so out of it. Right. I didn't even say twice. And so I give him my card and 15 minutes later, Dirk's like, yo, where's it at? Jets like, where's it at? You know, all Tyson Chandler, where's it at? They want to see this big bottle of champagne. And I, I get the tap on the shoulder, right? Mr. Cuban, can you come back in the back before? Now, it's been a long time since I've gotten one of those, right? <laughs> cut up, all that. And so um, I go in the back. They're like, your credit card got declined. I'm like, it's a black Amex. It's not supposed to get declined. <laughs> and so they call. I have to call up American Express, no lie. And I get the first line person. I'm sorry, sir. We have, I'm like, can you put your manager on? And, and he's like, you know, how can we be sure this is Mr. Cuban? I'm like, did you watch TV tonight? <laughs> you know, see what happened at the game. So finally I got it approved and we got our bottle of champagne. Nah, that was a legend. Let me ask you a question, some technical question about the league. So the CBA, um, I feel like the NBA and the NFL is completely different because from my understanding, the, the, the NBA, the players have 51% of the revenue, where the NFL, the players have 48% of the revenue. And it seems like the NBA is way more player-friendly, mm-hmm. um, and the players get more money, and it's a much stronger relationship between guaranteed the contracts. owners, guaranteed contract, the owners and the players, where the NFL, it's, no, it's not really guaranteed contracts. The owners and the players don't seem to have a good relationship. So what are your thoughts on the CBA? And also, I know you you, you um, have plans on being an NFL owner as well. So, what is your what are your what are your thoughts on the difference between the league and the, and the NBA? How it's structured with the CBA and the relationship between the owners so and the players? No plans to be an NFL owner. Okay. No. Um, two. Scratch yeah, that's all right. Um, two. You know, and you know, people talk a lot about guaranteed contracts in the NBA versus the NFL. The difference is the NFL gets a lot more bonus money up front. Right. So you'll get paid a big check up front. So, you don't your contract may not be guaranteed, but your guaranteed money isn't all that different for the skill players. Right now. You know, and then the other big difference is they I think they have four years. Every player has got four years, uh, four year contracts um, you know, in the NFL where it's very it's variable in the NBA. But in any event, the biggest difference is, you know, in the NFL, NFL players talk about the league promoting the shield, right? That it's all about, you know, what's on the, you know, the NFL logo and it's, you know, they promote the NFL. Whereas in the NBA, it's all about the players, but you know, the, the talent drive, we're a talent driven league. Our players have huge social media presence. You know, we're, you're, we're big, you know, in social media, not just the league, but more importantly, the players, you know, and so that's the biggest difference. You know, if you look at, you know, I grew up in Pittsburgh, I'm a big Steelers fan or the Cowboys, I'm a big Cowboys fan. You're going to know Dak Dak Prescott and you might know Zeke Elliott, but you're not going to know the other 51 guys on the team if they walk in the room. Right. And I might know Ben Roethlisberger if I see him, but I'm not, you know, James Conner, but maybe not, you know, the other 51 guys either. Basketball, you're playing 2K, right? You know, one through 15, who most of the guys are, maybe even the two way players. And that leads them to having big social media presence. And when you see a big highlight in the NBA or, or the NFL or any other sport, you're, you're not going to see the, the face, right? There's no expression. They're in the helmets. You know, they can't take their helmets off. And that's intentional, right? That, that mm-hmm. kind of keeps the visibility of the players down. And on the NBA, you see a highlight from Luca. You see Luca smiling. You see him ripping his jersey. You know, you see LeBron doing the same thing. You see KD, right? You see the expression, the emotion. And then these guys are taking those highlights and the, the walk-ins, even when they come into the arena showing what they're wearing or what their you know, kicks are, you know, you're seeing those on their social media and that's being picked up, you know, on overtime, you know, ball is life, you know, dunk demics. You're seeing all these things over and over again. And that leads to their brands being bigger than the league, you know, and that gives a lot of leverage to the players that the NFL players don't have. Speaking of the NBA and obviously you're in the Corona situation right now, uh, we know that there's been a huge loss, 1.5 million 
billion dollars been lost in revenue and um the likelihood of people coming back to the game you know is up in the air for this season i'm just wondering you know what are the plans to to kind of offset and maybe gain some more revenue uh being being that a large part of what you take in is not part of your income right now for the, the teams between last year and this year it ain't pretty <laughs> my right. you know we're i'm gonna lose a, a, a lot of money and there's not a lot we can do right now i mean Right now, the, the first thing is safety, 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 because if our guys aren't safe, we can't play. You know, I wouldn't put them in a position. It's like Texas in Texas. We're allowed to have fans at Mavs games. I can have up to 5000 people, but I'm not going to do it. I was just talking to Dwight Powell and, and Maxi Kleba today and, and Luca when I was down to practice. Um, and, you know, they were asking about it. And I'm like, look, it's not so much that I don't think I can keep, you know, the fans safe. What, but what happens is out of 5000 people, somebody's going to have it. Right. Somebody's going to have. And, you know, when you let people in, the players and staff, you're going to let in their friends and family. And so all it takes is one person who's a girlfriend, a parent, you know, a niece, a nephew, whatever it is, talking to the wrong person, you know, in the concourse. And all of a sudden that then makes them sick and that makes the player sick. Or with our protocols, you don't even have to be sick. If one of those people in that chain right there turns out to be sick, even if it doesn't make the player sick, we got to shut you down because of the protocols. And so all that stuff together, I've decided not to have fans. I'm, I'm, I'm walking away probably. We've got 34 home games that still to go for this season. And, you know, how much money is that going to be? $20, $30 million. I'd rather have a healthy squad and give us a better chance to win. So <laughs> Shark Tank, Shark Tank. Um, Friday nights on ABC. We're back. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So what are some, all right, we got to talk about ring. Is that, is that the biggest regret that you have? Um, no, no. So ring did a good job. Jamie, um, yeah, Jamie, um, came on and I've got a rule when it comes to companies and ring violated this rule. And so it doesn't mean, you know, even though this is my rule, it doesn't mean there's other companies who can't do well. So if a company is going to have to raise hundreds of millions of dollars in order to do tens of millions of dollars in revenue, I'm not going to invest. Now, that's not, you know, in Silicon Valley, they like that kind of stuff. They like to buy growth, right? So you can raise a lot of money. And if you show a growth curve that's really good, like Ring did, then they, you know, those, there's a good chance you can get acquired. And as it turns out, Ring got acquired by Amazon. But what ends up happening to the early investors is because you have to raise so much money, you keep on getting diluted down and down and down and down. And so if I would have made that Shark Tank investment of $700,000, I think it was to get 10% of the company, by the time it got sold for a billion dollars, I would have been lucky if I owned 1% because, and probably not even that. Um, now, 1% of a billion is still 10 million. That's not bad, but it probably would have been less because what happens is, because those companies are losing so much money, when the newer investors come on and they give you $100 million, they're not saying, Mark, you know, just keep what you have. They're saying, I want better terms than you even gave your first investors. And so, you know, when someone's giving you $100 million or $200 million, um, the terms get really onerous and they don't, aren't really friendly to the initial investors unless you keep on investing a lot of money at the, you know, at, in the hundreds of, like if I would have put up a hundred million dollars at that point in time, then I could have kept it. It might've been good, but that's just not what I'm going to do with the Shark Tank company. So it's not a bad thing for him. It's a great thing, but at the same time, you know, I don't feel like I missed anything. Has there ever been somebody that's come on the show and you kind of sit there and you're like, why didn't I think of that? Or has there been a company that another shark took and you said, man, I should have invested in that one? One. One, one I wish I invested in just because it was fun. That's Spikeball. The guy came on and said, that looks fun. But he wanted to start all these big Spikeball leagues. And I figured I'm just going to have to go out there and just hype Spikeball, right? Which <laughs> at the time, I, I, I didn't think it would be as much fun as it turned out to be. Um, but the one that another shark did that I wish I had done is um, it's called Comfy, Comfy Clothes, I think it's called, where there's just this huge oversized um, – um, not even, uh, I don't even know what you call it, like these big oversized comfy, comfy um, things you wear, right? You know, um, 
whatever. And so anyways, they're, they're like 49 bucks a piece and they've sold millions, millions. Barbara bought- Is that the snuggle thing? Yeah, yeah, like a snuggly type oh, thing. Snuggy. Yeah, 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 snuggy yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like a snuggy type thing where it's just big and comfy. And I didn't even think twice about it. Barbara bought 25% of the company for like 50 or 75 grand. She has made, and she said this in an episode, she has made $37 million from it. Wow. That's what I would, you know, if I could rewind, <laughs> I, I would take that one. It's crazy. But, and I love Barbara. I'm thrilled for her. But $37 million from less than 100 grand investment. That's great. What do you? Which also means that the, the dudes that came on with that company, if she made thirty-seven million for one fourth of the company, multiply that times three, and that's what they made. What, what, what do you What do you look for if somebody's trying to pitch you on Shark Tank? Like, what are your What are your key things that you look to say? Okay, I mean, this is something that I'm interested in. It, you know, and you brought the point. You know, is it something that makes me think? Why didn't I think of that? That's always the first thing because I think I'm good at this stuff. And if there's something that somebody comes on and, and I'm like, wow, you know, so that's first. If it's not one of those, then it's like, OK, is this somebody who's going to bust their ass and be a grind, you know, um, hustling all my life type person. Right. And grinding all my life. Just don't <laughs> because that that's what it takes, because these aren't companies that are at the top of the food chain killing it. Right. They need us for a reason. And that's why they're there. And so if you're not willing to be a learner and, and grinding all the time then it's not going to work. And what happens is having done the show so long, you know, you, you realize that there are going to be people who think that by getting a deal with the shark, I'm going to do all the work, right? Or whoever the shark is, it's got to be the exact opposite. And then, you know, grinding, learning, selling, because there's never been a company in the history of companies that was ever successful without selling. And what happens is a lot of entrepreneurs think, well, I'll get somebody else to do the selling. And you can't do that. If you don't love your product enough to always want to make it available to people and, and let people know why it's great, it's not a good product. That's what I look for. Like I, I'll give you one example. I had um, Noel, this dude, and you can't, now you guys don't have naturals. You guys are missing upstairs. <laughs> no, 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 no. I got a season. I got a low yeah, season. Everybody I still keeps got, doing this to I us. I still got here. I still got here. Okay, no, nah, I'm done. He's I'm done. I'm done. I, I grow it here now. <laughs> But um, he's got a comb called twisted. It's a twisted up comb. You know, with the natural, you got to use the, the sponges and everything, right? Um, I, I had to learn this stuff. It's not something. <laughs> I'm like, how do you know that? <laughs> and so he, he made this little baby um, tennis racket, right? So it's just like put it in there. And on one side, because it, on one side is pointy, so you can tw twist it up and everything. On the other side, it's like a little tennis racket, so you can, you know, fluff it up and get it where you want to look at. And Noel sells them online now, crushing it, crushing it. I mean, he sold millions upon millions of dollars. It's one of my better investments. And now Noel is out there investing in other startup companies. And what, what you know, the lesson from Noel Dirty at Twisted Up is that you can start with an idea that meets a need in your community, right? You don't, it doesn't have to be some big idea that you're selling to people you don't know. You don't have to go out there and raise money. All he did was take the money from his job, make some prototypes and go to some barbershops that he knew and say, look, can you try this? And once they started asking for more and more and more and wanting to buy them and sell them to their customers, then he took that and just kept on building it and building it. And now he's making, you know, million dollars plus a year. I'm doing really well from it, too. <laughs> and so, you know, it doesn't matter where you start or where you come from. If you've got an idea that can help people around you, you don't need to go out and raise money. You just got to go out and do it. Sounds like a baby shark in the making. Oh, big! He's that baby line now. He's he's real deal. <laughs> they, they say the average millionaire has seven streams of income. But um, shout out to Ian. We have a stock show called Market Money. It's like the hottest stock show on. You should have, if you're if you're interested, you could come on that um, because you you're you're a serious stock investor. But uh, our co-host Ian Dunlap, he said something. He said uh, um, actually some somebody told him that actually twenty four streams. So. What do you think about that? Because you hear that so much about the seven streams of income, but then it's like 24 streams. That's a lot more than seven. So do you think that that's too far to diversify? If you're focused on wealth, you should focus on a few things or like, what's your thoughts on that? Focus on what you're good at and what you know. <clears throat> so always remember this in any investment. You know, if you go to buy a stock, there's somebody selling it to you, right? They didn't just manufacture it and they're not selling it because, oh, you know what? I like Mark. I'm going to sell him my stock. I know the price is going up, but I'm going to sell it to him because he's a good guy. 
right? It doesn't work like that. They're selling because they think it's going down or it's not going anywhere. They need the money. And so you always have to ask yourself, why is somebody on the other side of the deal doing what they're doing? And just being good at one thing is really hard. And so what I always tell people, if you can get really, really good at something, if you want to trade stocks, learn everything about the stocks you're trading, right? Don't just guess. If you want to get into cryptocurrency, learn everything you can. Once you have some success, then you can start peeling off some of that money that you've made and put it into other things and diversify your portfolio. But each thing that you add, don't do it unless you know what you're doing. And don't assume that somebody else, because they have money or because they call themselves a financial advisor, knows what they're doing. Always check your whole card. Always make sure you know what you're doing. Because, you know, go back to the Internet bubble. There are a whole lot of people just paying any price. And they thought I was crazy. I went on CNBC and told people I had hedged. And every time Yahoo stock went up, they said, don't you feel really bad that you left this money on the table? And I'm like, no, I'm good. I sleep really good. At night. <laughs> and so don't get greedy. Right. So when you talk about seven or 24 different forms of income, really what it comes down to is what are you good at and stick to those things. And if there's, you know, most people can't be good at more than one thing. It's hard. Right. And, and I can have multiple streams of income because I've got enough cash where I can take different chances. If you're a millionaire, you know, and you've got a million dollars in cash, that's not going to last you your whole life. So you've got to treat it with a lot of respect and make sure you know exactly what you're doing. It's always a thrill when you hit that platform, right? When you say a million dollars, man, I've made it. How good does that feel? And you get all excited, you know, and everything. But you also have to be realistic and remember that, you know, being a millionaire doesn't mean you can go out and blow that cash. It means you've got to protect it. And you, why would you invest in something just to get seven different you know, streams of income if you're not sure? And if you divide a million dollars up seven ways, you're going to lose some of them, right? It's going to be hard to have you know, $150,000 all making you money and doing well. Some, some of it's going to crap out. And so you've got to be really careful. I, you know, what I tell people is have at least six months of, of expense money sitting in the bank, if not more. Because like we learned with the pandemic, shit can go bad really fast. You know, 12 years ago, we had the Great Recession. Now we have you know, the pandemic. And so if you have six months of expenses in cash, just sitting in the bank, even though you're pissed, it's not earning anything. Being able to write that check to cover your rent if you lose your job or, God forbid, something worse happens, right? You want to have that, that, that cushion, if not 12 months. To me, that's not necessarily another form of income, but being able to sleep good at night, that's another form of income. Being stressed about all that shit all the time because you're into things you're not quite sure about. I mean, anybody who's made a little money has always looked at investments, and there's no worse feeling then you're calling your guy, calling your woman, whatever it is, the, the lady that's working with you and saying, how we doing? And always at the beginning, it's, oh, it's great. Exactly like we said, oh, it's great. And then there's that one day on one of those investments where they don't call you back. Oh, it's just busy. Sorry. Then they don't call you back again. Then they don't call you back again. Right. That's because you did something you didn't fully understand. And so not that every investment can't go wrong, even with the best intentions. But you're going to limit your risk. You want to limit your risk until you get to the point where you can say, fuck it. Okay, if I lose 50 grand, I'm fine. If I lose 100 grand, I'm fine. When you get to that point, then you can start making investments that, that get you to those seven different streams of income. Yeah. You know what? Invite me back on. If you want to come on, I'll come on the stock show and we, we can pick it up from here. You guys are amazing, man. I enjoyed the question. Nah, I appreciate, oh, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, now the, the Market Mondays, we would love to have you on Market Mondays. But first and foremost, thank you. Thank you. It was gracious with your time. And once again, thank you to the whole team. Thank you to Al Harrington. Um, and it's, Al, I said hi, man. Yeah, for, for sure, for sure. What would you, what would you like to, to tell the people? Um, any last words that you would like to, to leave the people with? You know, Life's about the grind and life's about learning. You know, if it were easy, everybody would be doing it. Um, but I think a lot of people get frustrated because it's hard to find something that you love to do and that you're good at. You know, like I told you guys the stories about getting into computers. I didn't know I was going to be good at computers. I tried bartending. I tried a lot of different things, a lot of jobs that didn't work out. 
until I got to something that did work out when I was 24, you know, 25. And then once I got there and realized I could be good at it, I just ramped it up and I just kept on levering up. And that's the hard part. When you're young, if you're, you know, in college or in school um, or out of school for that matter, um, try different things. You don't have to have all those answers when you're young. Try all the different things because you know what? If you're broke, now's the time to, to, to try it, right? Because what's the worst that you're at? it's going to happen, right? You're going to stay broke. You know? <laughs> and, and, but if you keep on trying different things, when you find that one great thing, then amazing things happen. And when you find something you're good at, go for it. Go for it. Don't take any prisoners, man. Just do everything you can to be great at it. And that's when you really make money. That's, that's how the money's made. Pleasure. And I, who's, the, who's the best rapper alive? The best rapper alive? It's not Tupac, that's for sure. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little Wayne guy. I know that, that's, you know. Weezy. Shout out to Weezy. Yeah, Weezy. Uproar is like, it's still my song. <laughs> <laughs> you know? No. <laughs> yeah, so Weezy, who else do I like? I mean, I like, I, I'm still, DMX, like my all-time favorite song is DMX Fame. Um, I saw DMX one time, right? We were both at a club, and I'm talking to him, and he's like, Dude, I'm out of my fan fangirling, right? Dude, I love fame. Best song ever. He's like, don't hit me with that shit now. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, don't hit me with that shit now. <laughs> dog. Shout out to the dog. <laughs> nah, but Mark, thank you. Thank you again, brother. It's been an uh, honor, I man. appreciate it. Um, good luck on the season. Um, you guys killing it. Luca. Amazing, amazing talent. You got it. You got a great team. You got, you got the next one. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Sure. Yeah. Coming back next week, so it's going to get even better. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. All right, guys. I'll, appreciate it. Y'all take care. All right. All right. No problem. Thank you. My graduates from my school being Forbes. Bag drop. Bag drop. <laughs> F- a mic drop. Bag drop. Bag drop. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.